0: So welcome everybody. It's a real pleasure today to welcome Mark Wicks. Mark is our Director of Skills. And um, I'm not gonna, like I would normally do with guests, give a sort of introduction about his background because I know I won't do that, that justice. I'm gonna let Mark introduce himself. And the linkage in conversation today is around coaching and military. And a lot of people, being ex-military myself, a lot of people have a perspective that the military's command and control. And I think like a lot of workplaces, things have moved on. And I think the military are very much advanced in the way that they lead and coach, dare I say. Um, And Mark and I are going to explore that. So,
1: Mark, welcome. It's a real pleasure to have you on this podcast. It's wonderful to be here, Trayton, and thank you ever so much for giving me this opportunity to uh, share some of my experiences, I suppose, and and things that I've learned over the many years that I did very fortunately serve the way that I see it.
0: Yeah and you served for over 30 years in the Royal Marines so if you wouldn't mind just giving our audience an overview of that experience um, and then that'll lead nicely into what you learn and how you're bringing that to the fore into the challenging workplace that we're all facing today.
1: Definitely well thank you for again as I said Trayton. um, 32 years ago yeah 1983 uh, I joined the Royal Marines as a A young local man, actually, and I was sort of brought into the Marines a lot quicker than I expected because I was local and somebody had actually dropped out of their sort of sign up procedure. And I got a telephone call and it was like, can you be here on Wednesday? And it was, you know, within a couple of weeks of actually sort of going into a careers office down in Plymouth after a sort of few telephone calls and that. So uh, a bit of a baptism of fire for me. Um, 32 years, Trayton, um, you know, it, it passed so quickly for me because of the sort of amazing opportunities and experiences that I had. And, uh, I, I specialized within my time and services of physical training instructor within the Marines and coaching was very much a part of that, you know, enabling mm. the, the young men at the time that were sort of joining up and serving to be the best that they possibly could be. And whether that was through physical Um, you know, prowess or whether that was with their mental ability and growth mindset. But I I started off with four-man teams, you know, as a young section commander right the way through to actually serving as the supreme ally commander of NATO transformation as his command senior enlisted leader. Uh, I was selected from the 28 nations to be his advisor and part of his four-man command team in the United States of America. And, and previous to that, I served as what we refer to as the core regimental sergeant major. So that means that I was the senior other rank, as we would refer to in the UK. But anybody, if they are listening from abroad, would understand it that I was what they refer to as the command senior enlisted leader. So, uh, yeah, that selection process was sort of long and rigorous. And, uh, you know, very fortunately, I was taken with myself and my family. To join the Supreme Allied Commander over in the US in Norfolk, Virginia, and to work as one of his advisors as part of his command team. I was very much responsible for the transformation of the education and training of the NATO enlisted ranks, if that makes sense. Uh, So I had a lot of sort of diverse opportunities moving around the world and speaking to people within the uh, different organizations that support NATO, that are members. Uh, And previous to that, I served with the United States Marine Corps for nearly three years as their physical training advisor. So that was part of my sort of specialization within the Marines as a physical training instructor that I was then selected to go and represent the UK Royal Marines as part of the United States Marine Corps set up at the Officer Candidate School in Quantico. So my my military career is fairly diverse. I've been a a battle group RSM on operations, um, many different challenges, many austere situations, many sort of tough and uh, memorable occasions as well. But uh, the one thing that always sort of rings true for me is that, sort of shared experience with the men that i worked with and again i unfortunately do say men but it was men at the time that i served with as as females were not part of the Royal Marine Commanders which very fortunately now they are and yeah. uh you know uh, god bless them all and uh, i wish them all the very best with that so that was my experience in service really yeah well thank you for sharing that and i hope all our
0: listeners can just hear how impressive that is and the experience that you can bring not just to the coaching world, but I think to the leadership world as well. And the conversations that we've had around this military connection with the coaching is very much about your role as the RSM and certainly that NATO level yeah. is to take that strategic direction which leaders should should give and then execute and make that happen and enable yeah. individuals, units, brigades, countries to mm. play their best game. So coaching at, not sure. just an, on an individual level, but what I would call an organisational level, as well so Mm. what are some of those core attributes that you know you've learned and you've noticed that help people teams organizations to to play their best game and really deliver on the expectation objectives that leaders give them
1: well i i I tell you what train you you you're, you're absolutely right and and for me the simplicity of good communication you know that shared knowledge with right the way down through the chain of command and, and checking that that alignment exists within the organization. You know, I was very much given a, a sort of clear role that I could spread the Supreme Ally Commander, the Core um, Commandant General, their words. And I talked on behalf of them. Every time I spoke, I spoke on behalf of them. But what I thought was really important for me was what I refer to as um, as sort of battlefield rhythm. It's a bit like a sort of leadership by walkabout where I used to put myself very much in the trenches, in the front line with those people to first get an understanding of what they understood about what the intent was. You know, what is it I'm here to achieve? Understand what we're doing. But more importantly, do they understand why they are doing it? Mm -hmm. And if they understand that why and they're talking to me, at that very sort of lowest level within the organization, that that gives me a, a sort of very warm and fuzzy feeling that the communication from the commander right the way down through the chain of command has been delivered. And, and what I'd quite often find is that, you know, direction would sometimes been delivered. And, and I can go back to an incident in uh, Afghanistan where we, we, were, we were told to use courageous restraint you know, at one point in our time. And then when I would go down and visit and sort of somebody used to say take Mark off the leash and and let him go out there and go and find out what really is going on at the ground level. And and I think that sort of shared experience with them. And when you hear that they're not aligned, they don't fully understand what the message is, then that would be my role to be able to step in and, and to really clarify what it was that they needed to understand. But the conversations, training would be very much along the lines of, you know, so what do you think that means to you? If we're talking about courageous restraint, talk to me about what you think that means. And then, the, you know, the men that were serving would then come back with their different ideas. And I would be able to sort of clarify or give them a little bit more alignment, a bit more of a better understanding. So instead of me just going in with that one-way communication, it was really allowing me to understand what they felt it meant for them and how they could then perform to make that happen, to, to, to achieve the intent that was being pushed down. And, you know, the chain of commanders we know, depending on what level I was at in my career, you know, it could have been as a, a corporal or a troop sergeant or a sergeant major, would be very much in the commando level. Whereas if it becomes the brigade, then I've then got, you know, six and a half to 7,000 men, 8,000 men sometimes that I'm then responsible for, for making sure that's happened. Well, you know yourself, if I take that out to the NATO place, how, you know, how, how do I hit the 28 nations? How do I speak to all these people? Well, very much through, you know, the, the, the training environment, the schools and being present. So my role as an RSM or as a command senior enlisted leader was to be present training to go and visit, to be on the ground and then come back and convey what it was I was seeing, what I was hearing, what are they missing? You know, and then the commander at the very senior level through those different opportunities could then look back and go, right, have I communicated clearly what I want to be achieved? Have I really thought about what the impact of what this is for those people down below? And I was that sort of messenger, that conduit in between. Yeah, and and, says, and I,
0: I really I, like the, I like that point of this communication two ways, and yeah. not just on a task level about no. the what and the why, but also on an empathetic level and understanding yes. how that was landing, uh, what that was meaning to individuals on sure. a personal level, and and then taking that that data, that that knowledge, that understanding, and presenting that back to your senior leader, so that they were able to then adjust the communication accordingly and then as you say um being present to do that but also allowing that communication to resonate so that people would engage with it and and fully understand it not just in what but why they were asked being asked to do that
1: Mm. i think the other key piece within that Trayton, is that um i find you know it, it it's no good just spending that 20 minutes in you know, on the ground with the person. If, if I went to visit or sit with a unit, then I would spend time, a couple of days, two or three days, just to pick up that environment, pick up the atmosphere. What's the ambience? What's what's the, you know, what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And then what I would, you know, people would come back and say, Mark, you, you, you tell the truth under Kings. You know, that without fear or favor, you know, it was, look, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. So having that ability and trust from my senior leaders to be able to tell them, no, that's not what's happening on the ground. This is the way it really is. But just presenting that clear communication for them really enabled them to understand, you know, where were they hitting the mark or where were they missing the mark or what were they not doing? And why were people not sort of achieving, um, you know, to, to what they expected? And it may just have been that they're clarity of intent was not good enough and then they could readjust and say do you know what yeah we need to make sure we get out and push this information around and that would be very much my job you know i could pull in a team of sergeant majors as you know Trayton, across a commander yeah. unit across the brigade so i could communicate straight to them and then they would then you know this this message would continue to be pushed down and like i said the easy start setting for me was go at the lowest level of the team and find out what they know mm-hmm. because if they're not talking so, about it it's not being communicated correctly. So what I'm hearing
0: here is basically an extension of the leaders ears and eyes and taking Definitely. all of that data and understanding the emotional elements, the the elements that are that people are engaging with or not as that might yeah. be and then presenting that back to the leadership population for them then to, to adjust the communication and the approach accordingly. Definitely. Great. And, and how do you see that with your coaching experience now? How do you see that translating when you're working on a one-to-one basis and, you know, all that great work you've done in, in empathising and, and noticing what individuals are saying and doing? How, how does that show up when you're doing the one-to-one coaching?
1: You know, what I I really appreciate that, uh, you know, the coaching skill set that we we talk about training, we talk about one of the key areas when we we talk about, you know, the coach, the coaching, the relationship. The relationship is really important for me. And that doesn't mean to say that I have to be the friend, but I have to have a good, strong, open, honest communication and relationship with that person. Because what that also does is it allows me, if I have that open communication with them, with a bit of understanding myself of the context that that person is within. Mm. You know, what bubble are they actually in at the moment? What's going on in Trayton's world? But what's going on in Trayton's organization? What's going on in Trayton external to the organization? Because all these things affect and impact the way that you show up. And, and I think what that's, the military has enabled me to do is understand how to build this relationship with people to understand not only the organization I'm in, but very much the environment that I'm in because of some of the environments that we have served in. Mm. You know, what what is the impact of this individual having upon that environment? Or what is the impact that the environment is having on that individual, the coachee, if we talk about that now? And that helps you get a more holistic understanding and understand the sort of some of the pressures that the person may be under. And, and by helping them understand where they are, it helps them to understand sometimes why this may be the, the way that they're feeling, why they may not be able to, you know, think slightly differently. And and sometimes why they don't even believe in themselves, training. Right? You know, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is give them that space and say, I believe you have more potential. And for me, within the military, and, and I say very much within the Royal Marines, I think we always had that. That was every person I knew that wore the green berry, wore that berry because they had achieved exactly the same as I had achieved. There was no ambiguity in that. You either pass or you fail. And yeah, was and a so common that standard. Was a, yeah, it's a common standard. Yeah. But then there was an ethos within the organization that, you know, nothing was impossible. Mm. You ask a Marine, you know, or most people in the military, this isn't impossible. This can be achieved through great teamwork, through great communication, through that sense of trust and loyalty. And, you know, it's powerful because if, if I give you that space and that environment to think how you would go about this yourself, then you're going to feel a lot more valued, a lot more responsible, a lot more accountable, and really want to embrace that. You know, I, I, w- I want to prove that this is the way I'm going to do it, and that, that's taking risk as well, Trayton. As you know, you know we we're, we're we're open to that risk. We mitigate it as best we can, but. You know, if you want to try something different, because all I'm asking you to do, and, and we know the intents that we have, you know, deny, deter, uh, destroy, defend, whatever it may be along those lines, but that, that would be the intent from the commander. I need you to deny this bridge for the next 24 hours.
0: Mm,
1: mm. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but what I'm going to do is to get you to think about how you may wish to do it. And then what I I'd, I'd love is that communication goes back up because even when I've given you that intent, you'll then go away and then come back to me perhaps later and say, right, this is what we're looking at doing. This is what we're thinking of doing. And that's not for me to criticize or judge. I'm going to think about it. But, you know, yourself, you know, we, we, no tactic is you know, the right tactic. It, it's great yeah. if it works, but it doesn't always work. Yeah. And that's the other thing I think is that adaptability to change. Is a huge one in the world that we came from originally. Um, you know, no plans to contact, as we used to speak. So there's many, well, many things. What
0: I'm noticing, parts. Mark, is there's this sort of three themes that I'm certainly finding interesting and I'm sure our yeah. listeners hopefully are curious about. The first one, where you started off your, I guess, 32 years of experience of just talking yeah. with people, empathising with people, understanding the context understanding their situation Mm -hmm. understanding the environment which they're operating and need to operating in and and as absolutely as you say we see that within coaching understanding the if you like the arena in which Mm. that coaching is happening and the context and the system in which they are operating and and as you say that's so important when we are coaching the other thing i'm picking up um which i want to explore a bit further is that adaptability and that desire, which I think the Marines have it in, in you know, in, in bucket loads, is mm. to want to play their best game yeah. and and having individuals that are already very coachable in, in what, what they do. And the other thing which I'd like to sort of blow the, the myth on this, if I may, because when I speak to a lot of uh, individuals, certainly in the, the sort of commercial world, they say, oh, you're ex-military, it's command and control. Yeah, and there is an element of command and control, but my experience—and less than yours, only twelve years—but um, the, the way that a lot of military units work, they have to be agile and adaptable, and therefore yeah. coaching and helping people to think for themselves when the proverbial hits the fan—it's always been a key ethos and way yeah. modus operandi of of operating for for military units. So those are the three things that I, I guess I'm picking up from what you've said and would like to sure. explore all three if, if we can. So a good coaching style, which which one should we start with, Mark? Let's have a look at the
1: adaptability. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, th- I think adaptability is key because, as you know, we live in a world at the moment where there is constant change you know and we're hearing from leaders and we're hearing from people that we've spoken to in organizations trade you know that that change is constant leading in the new world is what we're talking about yeah you know how how do I as a leader prepare myself and my team and my people to you know be ready ready to 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 make these changes and and you know i th- i think there's a great you know people used to say that darwin spoke about evolve or die and we have to be very flexible and have to be able to adapt. I think in the business world, sometimes we have perhaps that little bit more time um, that we can make those changes. But as long as we communicate what those changes are well, and, and ensure that our people understand why we're doing it, then we will get a much better sort of support and buy-in from them. You know, why, what they want to know, isn't it, is why. Why, why are we changing? Because I'm so used to doing something in in the way that we used to do it before. But adaptability in the Marines, for me, it, it, it came about very much through that, as you said, on mission or on change or, you know, something happening within an organization, a new piece of equipment being brought in, a new tactic that we're gonna use when we deployed. And and people have this sort of growth mindset because we lived in an environment uh, where, You know, most of our people expected change. You know, we we trained for change. We trained for different scenarios all the time in preparation for that. But even though we trained for it, nine times out of ten, it would be something that we never even thought about. Yeah. But we we would try to, as you know, we refer to as sort of red card it. You know what? Okay, if you're going to do this, what what is the other person going to do? And then we'd have a separate team that would work on that sort of area, and you know, it would make us then think differently. Okay, if this happens, then then I may need to be able to sort of switch direction, split the team, or whatever that may be. And and I think just having that as a mindset from my time served, I'm quite adaptable within business to change when required, you know, it's not done because it's not something that's done to us. You know, change is something that's done to us, but transformation is our mindset and the way how we adapt to the situation that we're in. And
0: I think your your point about in the military, things are always changing. You know, Mm. the battlefield is always constantly changing and there's surprises all Mm. the time. So I guess as not only in the training that we go through, but also within the battlefield, we're constantly change ready and yeah. we're all, always adaptable, which I guess shows itself up in being coach ready as well. Yes. Coachee ready, I should say, you know, readiness. To be able to listen and notice things um, where, you know, sometimes the timelines within businesses, the change doesn't <laughs> require imminent change. You've got a little bit of it's, time. Mm. Um, where in the military, time is all, always for you. It's, it's mainly against you and, and the consequences of not changing or to adapting to that new situation
1: you're obviously fatal. I, th- I think key in that as well, Trayton, as, as you said, you know, when working with an individual or could even be a team, couldn't it, that, you know, yeah. we come in usually as the coach prepared for the session. Okay. This is what Trayton's going to talk about today. Probably this is something he's understand. We ask questions, question, you know, what's on your mind today? What do you think? Whoa! you know, where did that come from? Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't see that, that, that no. coming. I uh, thought we were going to be talking about transition. I thought we were going to be talking about your personal piece at the moment, but something has happened. You know, but what that does is because we are receptive to that, because all I'm doing is listening to understand. That's all I'm trying to do. All right. What is it? Trayton telling me, you know, and, and within that conversation, not only is what he telling me, but what does that mean in a more holistic sort of way? What, what is affecting me? So I think that is just it's it, change is not a problem as long as you sort of manage that change uh, and you know are open to it if we're very set in our ways then you know we're not going to move forward very quickly at all we just need to be ready uh, for that and i think if that's something that you constantly have lived with then it becomes something very easy to have in your normal sort of
0: routine and and expect and what sort of advice or guidance would you give Someone you're coaching who wants to be more adaptable uh, and more sort of uh, resilient in the way that they deal with change and changes.
1: Yeah, and the big thing I always think for people who's training is don't take it personally. You know, a like change isn't. We're not asking you to be a different person or anything like that. We're just looking at maybe how we perform in a different way. And and as we've said, if they understand the why, it's it's a bit like good salespeople. They talk about features and benefits. You know, I always think about this, well, this is the feature. That's great. Yeah, I've got a side I've got a side view mirror. So what? What what are the benefits from that? And if we can sort of instill that into the person to think about, you know, there is change taking place. This is the feature, this is what's going to change. But you know what? What could the benefits be, and why are we doing this? We're going to be more efficient, more productive. It will give you more time to do this. It will allow you to be able to achieve that. And if people, all oh, right, yeah, I get that now. Okay, so they will embrace it a little bit better. But it's got to be clear. You know, it's it's great. What is it you want me to do? Well, they understand what, but where, where's that reason? Why?
0: I notice when working with people through change, they focus on the things that are being taken away rather than what they're being yeah. potentially Ending. given. You know, and they're sort of, they're constantly looking into, so what's in it for me? That what I call the whiffing yes. factor. You know, what are the yeah. benefits for me? Um, and sadly, with any change, when you want that benefit, it's got to be a little bit of effort. And if the effort is greater than the benefit, you're not going to make that effort. So you're absolutely right. It's about reinforcing the benefits and making sure with any change, that there are benefits to individuals, to the team, to the organisation, obviously for for society.
1: And and that falls in training, as, as you mentioned. It's a, a little bit of challenge, isn't it? Okay, you know, there's a bit of challenge in this. We've got mm. to change, but you know, the benefit and the outcome will be better for me, the team, the organisation, eventually. And if you see that as the vision, you know, this is this is going to improve something. And it's a bit like coaching, isn't it? That one to one where a person is trying to, you know, think of how they can do something and what we're doing is we're going to challenge them. So that challenge is key as well. Look, you know, I'm going to take you outside of your comfort box a little bit, all right, to make you hopefully think of different things in different ways, different solutions that you may be able to bring to life. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to give you the solution. I'm going to help you think through this. I'm a bit of a sounding board for you. And, you know, and that that there, they've got to adapt to that. And, and as you said, you know, that adaptability that we've learned in the military is very much comes to life within coaching as well, because that person is having to adapt. I'm having to adapt, but not as much as they are, probably. Yeah.
0: And I think putting it back, linking it back to the military environment, you know, something that you desire and something you, you want in mm. the longer term to so move from A to B, you do have to work hard for it. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, when I got my green berry and I'm sure when you got yours, you were a very proud moment. You knew you worked hard for that. You'd had to change yourself. You've had to be adaptable and overcome, you know, all of those hardships. But it was there, you know, that was something to be to be proud of and being and part of.
1: And then it started of. again day one when you joined the unit, didn't it? Yeah, it's the you same know.
0: again, right? you got to adapt. And then day one well, when I- you're in operations and then you get flown from an Arctic country to the jungle or to the desert, wherever that might be. It's about being adaptable and resilient to those certain things. But I guess there's an inner thing which um, something I try and build up within my coaches is building that inner confidence mm. and helping them realize that they can do it. Mm. rather than they can't do it. yeah, And, and that sometimes takes time. And it's I think what the military are very good at, and I try to bring into my practice, is is to build up that confidence as well as that competence in the world they're going to move into. And I, I do hear a lot of people saying, I can't do it, You know that mm. whether that's imposter syndrome or a lack of confidence, whatever that might show up. But it's certainly something that I've learned in the military, that they are very good at building that confidence, building that trust, that camaraderie, that support network in place and you know I'm, I'm glad to say that i'm starting to see that develop in a lot of leadership populations and within coaches obviously that we work with now which is great
1: and i think that you know when you talk about building confidence Steve, that takes time you know it, we yeah. shouldn't think about you know this huge goal this huge target that we need to achieve it's the little quick wins how do i help that person get there what are the short-term wins what are the quick-term wins that ooh, you know, that's a smaller, easier, achievable goal for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And, it, and if I achieve that, all of a sudden, ooh, I get a sense of, oh, I am capable, I can do it. Okay, I'm going to have, a, now let's have a go at the next little step. What else can I do on my journey to get to that vision, that place where I want to be, where my real goal is? Yeah. You know, and, and if we do it in small steps and chip away, I always used to say, you know, if, if we're trying to bring a wall down one brick at a time, you know don't try and bring the whole wall down in one go let's let's chip away at this yeah and and so that we don't become sort of fatigued or drained or you know let's go through this systematically in a way and build up but understand what that is on that journey
0: and i think the other key part for me on this journey mark and you just highlighted it really nicely is it's not just about getting the individual to believe in themselves mm. and when you you achieve that and they achieve that for themselves. That's just a brilliant feeling because then they start taking lots of bricks out and and you can't keep up with them, which is amazing. That's why I do the coaching. I think the other thing I've learned, not just in the military, but in the 25 years I've been coaching is you've got to believe in the coachee as well. You've got to believe in their their talent and their potential. Mm. And if you don't have that, then you're sort of on the back foot. And I think the coachee will pick up on that. So not only developing the belief in themselves, but you believing in them as well. And I say so much in society today and the people I work with, so much latent potential that, you know, I just want to grab and, and help to really unlock and unleash that brilliance. And and that's what I get excited about, you know, within the Definitely. coaching world.
1: And I and I think that's really key, isn't it? Is is that the coaches sitting on the other side there are saying, Good creep you know, Trayton actually believes in me. Mm. He thinks I am very good. He thinks I've got more potential. And, and that just gives them a sense of that. Wow. You know, uh, oh, maybe I'm, I'm I'm not as bad as what I thought I was. You know, he, he's telling me I can, you know, yeah, please, you know, what's your ideas? How can you go about this? How how would you do this? I know one of the first things I always used to ask on any operation, any mission, always, no matter what level, you know, from a four-man team to, you know, sergeant majors of the brigade, you know, what would you do? What are you thinking about? What have you done before? What have you seen? Get their ideas first. I'm not going to go straight in with my ideas. Mm. Okay, yeah, I hear you. I listened to that. That's, uh, yeah, really impressed by that thought. You know, this is what I'm thinking. How can we bring this all together? Because all of a sudden they're in. It's not a one-way system. It's not me telling them. Yeah. You know, this is the intent. This is the mission. This is what we have to do. And I think some of this comes down to what your, your third point was, was about that command and control, which everybody, yeah. and I tell you what, I it, it, you know, it almost airs on the back of my neck go up sometimes mm. when I hear that, mm. oh, military Me command and control told what to do. And I'm like, yeah, because you possibly don't really understand what that environment really is like. Yeah. Yes, there is a time and a place where command and control, you know, we talk about a commanding leader or an authoritative leader. It's, it's in that time of crisis. It's in that time when chips are really down and everybody's looking over the shoulder for mark or for training to to give them the direction right now you know and that's when we use command and control to a degree it's that critical moment yeah you know but on the whole what i love in the military is that mission command that you and i both understand and uh you know if anybody wishes to further understand read you know Stephen bungie's art of action it's a great story about how you can bring sort of mission command in, into organizations and instill that sort of ethos that we have. And as I said, you know, we would work very much from the very man at the top, you know, whether it's a brigade commander on operations, this is my intent, which would go to the commander units, go to, you know, the supporting assets. And that message just filters down through. And at every level, you know, we're not directed. This is the intent. This is what we need to achieve Go make it happen, so to speak. Go and prepare your own orders to filter. And then we go back up. And then, you know, at the very senior level, they'll go back to the brigade commander. This is what we're going to do to try and achieve your attempt. This is the courses of actions that we have, you know, and they would get their buy-in from that.
0: But we, we and I think, um, you know, that mission command piece and what you've just spoken into is absolutely critical, Mark, in that, you know, it's about leaders giving the intent, the strategic direction where yeah. they want to place their main effort, how people yeah. go then and achieve that is entirely up to the leaders exactly. on the ground and the individuals. And you're absolutely right. You know, It's commonplace to have conversations. What do you think? Are there any other ideas? Have you done this before? To I guess in that non-directive approach, just seeing yeah. what's available, not just with the coachee, but yeah. with the coachees, those section or that, that unit or whatever it is you're doing, and then bringing a good leader will bring all of that knowledge together Mm. and then collaborate to find the best answer. Definitely. And not only do you get the best answer, you then get buy-in, and people are motivated because they understand the what yes. and the why, and they feel included in that decision-making, and they know why they've got to um, implement some
1: pretty challenging tasks. And key within that training is, you know, in, in an organisation, whatever that intent may be, how can the leader, how can the CEO ha- have his, you know, Finger on the pulse in every department, every team that exists, because there are different things happening within that organization that he or she will never know about at that time. So they've got to be given that autonomy to be able to think and adapt on their feet. Because if he tries or she tries to say, This is what you're going to do, well, all right, I may be based in in another country, I could be based in another location in the UK, and my team, I've now got a pass it, well what you've asked me to do is not now possible but by giving them the intent and what you're saying to them is think on your feet adapt prepare you know and and I, I trust you i value your opinion you know intellectual disobedience is something else we used to talk about you know if you know if you don't agree with what we're saying let me know and tell me i, I am going to tell you that I, I don't necessarily agree with what it is that you are talking about doing However, there is a point in the military very much where we would be, don't agree, but if that's your direction, then we will do this as best as we can. You know, that good followership piece. Um, So yeah, the mission commands really, I value it. And and I like to think that in my own team here, that that's the way that I sort of work. This is what we've got to achieve. I'm not checking to see what they've done or looking over the shoulder every now. I'm there if you need a bit of support. But I'm also there for that conversation with them in a coaching style. We well, what are you thinking about doing? What could you do? How could and you? I think do it's
0: this? really important to bring in at this point the conversation because I think it's reinforces okay. what the military have done, specifically we're talking from yeah. the Royal Marines, because that's both our backgrounds. But you know, 25 sure. years ago when I, I left, my last role was to develop a, a coaching academy at Limpston because yeah. we identified that young Marines were thinking for themselves and we wanted to understand yeah. why they were being innovative and creative. To solve problems, mm. you know, without that direction, and as, mm. as you know, we we worked with Plymouth University and identified that it was coaching. This was 25 yes. years ago. Coaching was very young there, and and Limpston and, and which is the Commando Training Centre and other centres of excellence have developed that that mindset, and it shows up in you know the operations they go in. You know, they can be uh, empathetic. They can be aggressive if they need to be, but they know yeah. how to act and how to solve problems yes. for people, for regions, for countries in a way which is very effective and, and efficient. And uh, that, that wouldn't come. That ability to be agile, adaptive wouldn't come if it was just command and control.
1: There's some great points in there, T. And, and, you know, and the first one, as you know, you know, in coaching, and, and as you said, you, know, you were very instrumental in sort of – bringing this to life within within the Royal Marines you know even just through that sort of okay look I'm seeing this happen Why, what why are my Marines when I ask them right we now need to we've already got it already done it because they were we we gave them that space and we gave them that trust that they were proactive rather than reactive
0: I guess giving them time to think Mark is you know and um having the confidence from leaders that they are able to share their views and to challenge, you know, that challenging debate that you spoke about. I think you (laughs) called it intellectual challenge. Intellectual disobedience, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's so, you know, there was a psychological safety, literally. There was a little bit of banter if you said something that was a little bit, you know. Sure. But that was part of the humour. But I think having that ability to be able to have free speech and certainly it, it, it wasn't that won't be available in a command and control and no, authoritative no. environment. And I think the military get it very right with the authority, but with the empowerment and alignment and trust in people yeah. to deliver, whether that's on a local or a global uh, level. I think they do a great job within that.
1: It came back to me T, apologies for that. The coaching piece. And I was saying I, I know when this was first talked about in the region, you know, in my time in eighty three, we I, I I don't like to say this, but there was probably a little bit more of a train out sort of yes. policy that we used to have. You know, let's make this as hard as we possibly can and yep. we're not gonna suffer any fools gladly or anything like that, and unfortunately yep. not hit the mark. Whereas now, as we know, you know, we were part of the longest Mandatory training in the world, or you know, a, a training that uh, a recruit goes through, and that's not changed. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. But, so coaching is You know. Yeah. What do we need? And to as you and I floor?
0: know, Mark, it, it's so easy to sadly to break someone individually, physically or yeah. mentally. That's there's no skill in doing that. You know, any fool no, can do that. No and I think what the military, certainly at Limpston, do is they coach. For performance Mm. because they see the potential and it's very much about training rather than train out individuals and that ethos um, and that way of operating continues in in operations. And I think, well, I know it creates an environment where people want to support each other. They want to work hard
1: and play their best game for each other. Um, And actually um, the coaching piece, Drayton, you know, and and you saw that, you know, in the physical side as a physical training instructor, and I worked within the rehab side as well for what was called Hunter Company at the time, which was all the men that were injured through training. And because of the intensity of our training and duration, the nine month program, you know, it was not financially effective for us to just return people to civilian street, which is what happened in a lot of the other sort of armed forces and uh, so we invested time into our people whether it was through injury or whether it was through failing a commando test or a requisite test to get to the commando phases and through our ability of coaching you know within the the physical training branch and i know this happened within you know whether it's a weapons branch or a mortar branch enabling people to be the best they can at what they they specialize in but for me in the training environment it was about getting these people you know, what What are the barriers? What's stopping you from getting to the 30-foot rope climb with 35-pounder kit on? You know, you can do it in six sessions building up to it, mm, and then yeah. all of a sudden it comes to test day when you know it's test day and you spend the night before up. You, you're worried about this test. It's, you know, it's my driving test. It's my, uh, oh, I've got a presentation to deliver tomorrow. What's getting in the way? Yeah. And And through that conversation that you could have with these young men uh, and young women now, I'm sure that you could. You know, let's talk about this. You know, let's bring this to life. What What is really stopping you? What is getting in the way? And and having that conversation with them, as opposed to you need to do this, you need to do that. Okay, yeah, I'm responsible for this. I can do it. I've done it many many times before, but it's just under these conditions that I find it difficult. How do we take that condition away? How do we get you to think that this isn't a test condition? Again, just having that conversation with people, no matter what, and there are many different scenarios, as you know, you know, whether it's an injury they can't get over at the time or whether it's a a run or a climb or a yomp or something like that, same in the business, you know, whether we're we're struggling to do an ISO, whether we're struggling to do this, we'll get there. Nothing's impossible. It will take a bit of time. uh, And as long as we manage that sort of expectation and help people go through that, we can get there.
0: Yeah. And And I think you know, sadly time's getting the better of us, Mark here. And we no. could talk forever, and we should do another podcast. Um, it, it's I hope our listeners are realizing there's a lot of from the military world, which mm. the military have learnt from, which uh, has certainly been, in my time twenty five years ago, uh, developed yeah. from a place of leadership coaching. Um, And it's built on that to deliver great performance in, in, you know, different parts of the world for different reasons. And I I think there's some good learning that uh, corporations can can gain from that military learning. So before we close, um, I have a question which I ask all my guests. uh, And I know this is a, a sort of a it's our purpose coaching focus purpose, which is coaching for a better tomorrow. So I'd love to hear your perspective of what coaching for a better tomorrow means to you. Well,
1: I, I, I really love this space. And, and and the reason I love this is because for me, it's all encompassing. You know, people talk about coaching. It's, it's a one-to-one. It's an hour and a half session. It's you and me or me and that other person that are in a room. No, it's not. You know, for me, coaching for a better tomorrow is how I engage with people. You know, how do I communicate? And, and listening is not something that I was... I'm not gonna say I wasn't particularly good at it. I wasn't skilled (laughs) in it in any shape or form, but I really now understand the value of it. And my conversations with my own family, my friends, are very different than I ever used to have before. And I can see how that sort of transpires and how it's brought to life in my own children. You know, I have two daughters that, you know, my conversation in a car with them, my conversation during the day. My end of day routine with my wife when I go home is, you know, more about that. How's it been going? You know, what's been going on today and all that. And I do get that. You know, stop coaching me. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to understand <laughs> you know, what it is that's going on. So coaching for a better tomorrow. Please, I would say that, you know, for anybody, it's it's about our communication skills. It's about how well we listen and we give people that space and autonomy to be able to use us as a sounding board for us to listen We're not listening to respond, we're listening to understand what's going on for them. Uh, And, you know, I think not only through the, whether we're using this within business, but using it, as I said, in our own social environment, our own family environment, better tomorrow. Have those moments, there's moments every day that we probably miss, which are coachable moments. Something you see, something you may have heard, where you could ask a simple question, to just help people think through what it is that they, you may have seen or heard them do. So uh, I, for me, it, it encompasses everything. I don't think of it as just coaching. I think of it as that if we all communicated in a better way, then no matter where we're doing this uh, within our own personal life, within our own environment, then you know it will improve people's lives, definitely. And create a better tomorrow, which
0: I'm sure all our listeners want. So, Mark, thank you. As ever, a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your experience, and I look forward to the next time. Wonderful.
1: Thank you, Trayton. Much appreciated.